Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, Nut. Hello. How are you? How are you? I am good. I'm in San Diego. You're in Phoenix. Ohm is in San Francisco, correct? That is correct. And you came here last week like MacGyver of podcasting and set me up. I'm just staring into the abyss of foam. <laughs> I have FOMO. I have the fear of my foam not working. <laughs> fear of the microphone. Fear of the micro foam. So hopefully the sound's good and my dog doesn't bark, but I'm in San Diego. You came to set me up for the summer and I can't, since we're still uh, still basically locked down 90% of the time. Um, so you came in and helped me set up. So we're going to try these things out now yeah. for real. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm, it's just fun. There's so many smart people I want to talk to. Tech continues to rage. We've gone from the panic in March when we started to the FOMO in June, uh, you know, and I just wanted to go back to some of the people that really helped me get through the bottom. And now the tech is, doesn't seem to go down ever. I wanted to check in with some of those people today. I have Ohm, Giga Ohm, Ohm Malik, hoping I present that right. But Ohm uh, really had a great episode with me talking about how COVID kind of pushed us into the future and what the world may look like in a, in a very hot, globally warmed world with drones delivering our food and us locked in our houses, maybe more, maybe, maybe a yearly thing for, for three or four months. Right. But it uh, helped push digital forward. I wanted to check in with them now that uh, things have been really, I would say hot, you know, almost too hot in the tech industry, but he, he has some, uh, I want to talk about unintended consequences. I want to talk about Apple. I want to talk about, uh, just the tech leaders that he he thinks about and obviously what they're looking at at true ventures so let's um let's just get home right on the phone are you doing well canute i'm doing well thank you so much yeah phoenix what, is uh, uh, is hotter phoenix. than you know what and uh but it's going well yeah i just our accountant mike has covid he's on day seven really so that's the closest it's come you know mike huh he said day seven was uh his worst Oh my God. So, uh, so that's the closest it struck to home and he's in Phoenix wow. and he said he was out bowling. Well, come on. Uh, and he went to a restaurant in the last uh, two weeks. He doesn't think anybody on the bowling had it because everybody they're they're tracing everybody. So he thinks it came from a restaurant. So people really, this stuff is not uh, fake. No, it um, is not. And he said, it's been a brutal seven days. The seventh day being the worst fifth day, you know, lost his taste. So I think it's a little bit different from, for everybody, but anyways, best wishes to Mike. Absolutely. And, and Phoenix, uh, needs to take some care here. Yeah. No kidding. What are you hearing in Phoenix? The numbers have increased dramatically because everyone thought it was over uh, instead of realizing that, uh, the beginning was over. Yeah. Just the beginning. Okay. Well, let's uh, get home on the phone. All right. Howard, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome back to Panic with Friends. I'd like to say now we're in the frothy or FOMO with friends. You know, things have changed over the last three months. You came on the podcast a few months ago and we were talking about the panic and how we were locked down and tech was being pulled forward. E-commerce was being pulled forward. Maybe it was just how we're going to be living in the future. And this is our, our warning. So it's a great podcast. I'll link back to it. But now here we are in the summer. Um, COVID has not gone away. People don't know what to believe, but they definitely are out circulating. I was just telling Canute that uh, our accountant, longtime friend, has COVID day seven in Phoenix. So we said the heat and the sun would kill COVID, and Phoenix is a hot spot at this point. So, uh, and it'll spread because people from Phoenix are already in San Diego for the summer. So I imagine if it was heating up in Phoenix, it's going to heat up in San Diego. Um, so, anyways, like with all that going on, um, you know, our our passion is talking about tech and you've been really writing a lot recently again, which is exciting for me because I get to read it. And I wanted to just 
hit you up with a bunch of questions and hopefully you can just lean back and answer them. You know, a lot of them about your recent posts and just, just go ahead and uh, answer them as best you can, if that's okay. Perfect. You know, you talk about FOMO, I put OM in FOMO. You know that, right? You put the OM in FOMO. I love it. FOMO is just such a great word because we all, and we'll get into it. We all, we all as venture capitalists and investors have that fear, right? What are my competitors doing? There's only so many great deals a year or so they say. Um, how do you how do you deal with this FOMO? Like at a firm level, you know, where there's only so many good deals or do you not care? I think at, at a firm level, and I, you know, I speak for all my partners, like what we do is very simple. We just try and, you know, do what we are good at, which is kind of recognizing great founders, finding great opportunities, which may not look obvious today, but looking into the future, they become obvious. I think, you know, kind of what's that saying, stick to your knitting. That's exactly what this forum has been doing for 15 plus years. And I am pretty sure that's exactly what we're going to do for many, many years to come. So are you still doing regular, how, how is with COVID and, and uh, we talked about it a little bit last time, but you know, now a few more months in, how are you guys dealing with remote work and partner meetings, et cetera? How are you pulling that off? So we are all, all remote. We are all working remotely. We have partner meetings on Zoom. We are doing founder pitches on Zoom. We've made uh, quite a few investments based on you know, all these virtual conversations and doing diligence in a whole different way. And, you know, we've gotten uh, used to what what the universe has thrown us. And I think that's the part of being in technology and being an early stage investor is that you have to adapt as much as the founders do. You have to adapt to the new reality of our universe. And so we're we're ready for it, and you know everybody is going to work every day. Though I am told that most of us are working maybe a bit too much. I feel that I'm lucky, so I don't know. I love my work, so I don't, I can't tell the difference, right? Because I'll go I'll go running on the beach. I got an own podcast. I'll go riding my bike, and I got a O'Shaughnessy podcast. Like I didn't even have podcast in my life. A year ago, even though they've been around for 20 years, and all of a sudden you're making them, I'm making them, we're writing longer posts. There's there's just more time for smart people to write and think, which is just, I don't know if that's work for me because I love what I do, but it's just endless how much learning this last night. I have learned so much. Now, it's very narrow what I've learned because it's my industry, but I have learned so much. So maybe, like you just said, maybe it is about, hey, the founders have to adapt, so the venture capitalists have to adapt, or the whole world just might as well just quit. I think it's not just venture capitalists. Everybody has to adapt. I think if you don't, you know, then, you know, you're going to get left behind. And the great thing about being human is that we adapt to any kind of situation we are thrown into, right? There is no way we would have been bogged down by the virus. Yeah, you know, first couple of months were tough. People were unable to really figure out like how to do remote work. And now everybody is slowly figuring it out. Now we have to adapt to what does the the reality look like? The reality of being, you know, quasi-physical or physical only when required. I think all those things are just new things and we'll eventually figure out and these days we figure out things much faster than we used to well maybe because we have to or maybe because of the cloud or what would you think the reason is just because we're connected by our phone more sorry to interrupt you but like i think it was more we are more connected right so the more connected we are more we are communicating, you know, there's a lot of noise, but we are also getting a lot of signal all the time. So we are moving and living at the speed of the network, not at the speed we are used to living in the past. And I think that's the change which which has happened. I mean, just think about it. You know, we talked, what, three months ago? And it feels like it was yesterday because the idea of that, the time has changed so much because of the network, because we are living, even though it's the same time, it's the same 24 hours, same 60 minutes in an hour, so, you know, every, you know six, and 60 seconds in a minute, 
but we are perceiving time much more differently because hmm. we are living on the network the perception has changed and so we as as people are starting to change with it right think about it that you know like there was a time when entertainment meant watching a sitcom on television right like it's 25 years of friends this year or something like that now we are entertained by 6 seconds or less of tiktok i mean that's essentially the progression of how we perceive time and how we choose to entertain ourselves how we choose to educate ourselves how we choose to inform ourselves that is the the outcome of how time is perceived by us the people and the underlying layer is the network back in the day the network used to be the television and the cable and now it's the internet and a much faster internet not just a dial up now it's wireless just the omnipresent internet which is much faster so we are starting to see that have an impact on us as people you know whether it is good or bad only the future will decide that i'm from the past right like in my day and age i started out you know typing on a typewriter which a lot of people may not even know what it is and like and i'm here i am basically i work on an ipad and i am looking forward to the future where i will live in and in communicate and interact in metaverses like you know one of our companies is high fidelity and they have come up with like a new Dude, I was going to talk to you about that because I just played with Clubhouse and I heard High Fidelity is kind of along the same vein. So, well, so, so, tell me what High Fidelity is. I mean, High Fidelity is like essentially, a, a, you know, an audio platform. It kind of creates a hyper real audio environment for you to, to kind of go and create. You know, like the way you and I are talking right now, we could do that, and other people could be listening in. Yeah, that I think is the hottest new. thing I've seen. I haven't played with Europe, but I I got an invite to Clubhouse and I have to say from a UI and from blow my mind, I've been waiting for something fresh because I have my iPads, I'm always engaged and to be able to jump into a conversation and lead it and have people listen and ask questions in a very curated fun light way is fantastic. I think that the the way we forget that most of these things are analogs of real life. right people go to a club people go to you know it's like you know people go to the battery in san francisco i mean now they can't go so what will they do they will basically gravitate to something like clubhouse which is essentially a replacement for going to the battery and that's why you see all the tech people on there all the time and you know this this whole idea of real time internet you know it's long time coming i started writing about it in 2009 2010 I mean, you know, like an idiot, I'm always 10 years too early on stuff and so here it is. And the reason it is happening is now suddenly we are a lot more static. We have devices which are present all the time with us and now we have actually things like AirPods, you know, which we can wear all the time and kind of be in touch whether it's audio or soon, you know, it will be video and you know, kind of, you know, some kind of ar or whatever it is and this is just an analog for people trying to come together you know human desire to communicate and congregate is so strong it has been there for tens of thousands of years so i don't see that changing even when we can't meet each other and you're seeing that manifest itself in something like clubhouse it's it did i i you know i haven't been interested in an app in you know what my look at my homepage it's google maps uber twitter stock twits uh you know what i mean it's the same gmail netflix it's the same youtube it's the same apps for 10 years and it just felt like well we i got a lot to ask about the apple and the apple store cuz you've been writing about it too but it's really an exciting time because for me I'm first of all I'm a public market investor and I'm super bullish on audio so Apple Spotify Snapchat uh, uh you know Peloton which are video audio focus right everybody talks about Apple iPhone but it's really the watch and the AirPods and the services that are moving Apple right now they may not be able to deliver an iPhone for another year or two that people care about but the AirPods you know maybe people don't need another Air uh 
upgrade to the iPhone, but Apple's kind of snuck in there with the watch and AirPods and the iPad and services to stay relevant. And Spotify, which, you know, you as an audiophile may be soured on, but for the average music listener like me, even though I'm a music fanatic, I'm just, I consider myself average. I don't explore that much. Spotify is just the greatest app for a, a lean back listening experience. And now with podcasting, we've, we've been promised podcasting. It was going to be a big thing forever. And just when everybody gives up and in the weirdest way, Spotify goes old school and buys, you know, gets into sports, goes with Kardashian, goes with Joe Rogan. And that's the thing that launches this all of a sudden. It's just weird the way this the un- and, and this goes to your latest post about unintended consequences, these weird unintended consequences that the network and real time and these technology companies have brought on. So talk about these unintended circumstances. And So just to be clear, I'm not anti-Spotify. I'm, you know, I'm just not a big fan of their interfaces right now because they are pushing so much podcast in my face all the time. And as a music lover, I find it, a little grating and you know they're using too much ai too little feeling like music is all about emotion and feeling and they have lost that they've become very data driven very almost facebook like in their in their approach to what they think i should listen to so how does that so i go to ask spotify and i don't look at anything i know what i want when i go in i go to my faves so am i the idiot or am i the smart one meaning what do you expect when you open spotify I, you know, when I expect is not having all the playlist, which I am listening to being, you know, all the songs being forced on me, which is like, wait, why did I get this song? Why, why is it in my discover weekly? Why is it in my release radar? And, you know, there's like third, fourth order connection. Sometimes it is great to kind of be surprised by it, but Mm -hmm. most of the time it feels a bit of an overreach. And that's the fault of the, there are logarithms. Now, I'm not saying Spotify itself is a bad company. I'm just no. I know you didn't say that, but it's right. not. When you create something like with data, you have to. There has to be delight. Like, I'll, let me give you a for for example of what good use of data and machine learning can do. So today, Apple had this big WWDC keynote, and they showed this this gimmick. When you're washing your hands, your watch can tell you if you watched, uh, washed your hands long enough, right, that the virus can get off. It seems so cute, right? It looks like a cute application. There is a lot of emotion to it. You can you can just like, ah, oh, this is so nice, except that there is, there is a lot of, de- you know, analytics which is going on on the phone, sorry, on the, on the watch. They're taking a lot of sensor inputs. And they're doing a lot of magic. So that's like what they're doing is they're humanizing that data experience. Spotify used to do that a lot more effectively when when they were focused solely on music. But now they have to kind of, you know, do things differently with the with the podcast. And I don't blame them for doing podcasts because it's an easier way for them to increase time spent on on service, increase the engagement and monopolize my attention, which is what they should do as a company, which is essentially trying to compete with everyone from, from you know, Amazon to Facebook to Netflix to YouTube, right? So they're doing what, what what's right for the company. I just am, I feel as a long term, I started with, you know, Spotify on day one. So I've been with them for a long time and I'm not leaving them anytime soon. You know, I've opted for another service because it just is easier to get it. Like I'm a big fan of Bandcamp because, you know, they make sure that the artists get paid by the music I buy from them. I don't even need to buy the music. I just buy it because it helps the artists more than anything else. At the end of the day, you got to keep the artists fed. Otherwise, they will not make great music. We need great music, you know. Anyway, I don't want to get into the semantics and politics of music, but what I was saying is that I think when you are looking at a future which is very data-driven, which is very logarithmic, there has to have some kind of 
human touch to it. And I think that's what is the missing piece in, in Spotify. I think Spotify is doing exactly the right moves. The world is on demand. We do not, you know, the whole idea of like a sit back and have an appointment TV or appointment radio, those days are gone. Now it's all is when we want, where we want, how we want, and what device we want, and at what speed we want. That's what we've become. That's we the people. And what they are doing, Spotify is doing, is saying, well, if the radio is going to die in this environment, why don't we become the radio? They give you personalized music, personalized podcasts, and let's just sign up the biggest sports guy, the biggest, you know, you know, culture person and get the Harvard Stern of this generation, which is Joe Rogan. I mean, it, that is brilliance. Like, there is no other way of saying this. Everything about it, I love that, right? Now, yeah. now yeah. Apple is trying to con- make Apple TV instead of saying we had the podcast. We should focus on that. Like literally that is called, you know, not, you know, just having the ultimate former. Apple has the ultimate former. Love that. Looking at Netflix. Instead, they had this great giant repository of podcasts and they didn't really innovate on it. Like it just is a lost opportunity. Uh, That's what it really is. They could not come up with a great way to do. I mean, this is a company which is, not a native internet company, so they can't really think in terms of coming up with native internet applications. Like that has always been my biggest challenge with Apple. They are great at making great devices. They're great at creating good user experiences, you know? So their FOMO, this is a great point. Their FOMO is video and TV, and they've just left audio for Spotify. I mean, they should have, they've just, I think they've blown the opportunity on podcasts. Like, you know, like if Joe, Joe Rogan is on Spotify, how many, uh, you know, young young guys are interested in going to Apple? I mean, it's sort of like, I, I, I have a counter opinion on this. I think he has such star pull that unlike, you know, Howard uh, uh, Stern, he's, he's not going to lose his audience. His people are going to come with him. I think his people will come with them, and then you get the you get sports. I think they're the most they're the strongest, undisruptible. They're not a fan category because they're like forty billion, but I'm just it's one it's it's become my largest stock position. And, and you know, two months ago, I was worried about how are they going to stay relevant uh, in a low margin. You know, waiting, 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 and then all of a sudden, it feels like podcasting is tipped. And now everybody thinks, oh, you know, it's expensive stock. And I'm like, no, audio has basically just tipped in their favor for the gods have spoken. Like, I, I, it's like a YouTube moment for Google. You know, when Google bought YouTube, everybody thought that that was crazy. And then Google stopped, kept going up. And obviously YouTube, look where it is today. And, and at the same point, when you said, you know, like when YouTube came out, that was like the real beginning of Web 2.0. And yet video... Until Zoom and Twitch, you know, basically Zoom really and COVID video still. And then now TikTok, it's really just like you said, 10 years or even YouTube was 10 years early. I I can tell you, YouTube is still the most underappreciated property. If they were a standalone company, they would be more valuable than Netflix. And you think they'd be over 200 billion if they were just standalone, well-run, single operation? It is not really well run. It is not uh, properly valued. It's sort of like AWS inside Amazon. Interesting. I mean, these companies should be, uh, you know, issuing tracking stocks on these businesses. It's fun to see you like focus on stocks. As I see you had Ophir on your podcast, so you're like moving towards investing, and I'm moving more towards geekdom. It's pretty funny that we're intersecting. Just to be clear, back in the day, I used to write about stock markets. I used to write for Traders Magazine, for God's sake. Like, you know, so I've written for like, I mean, ECNs were my jam back in the day. One of the early guys on, you know, the Instinet and writing about Instinet and stuff like that. Like, so, you know, stock markets are a good information. They're like a, they're a mile marker of the future, right? Yes. So I, I don't like, I barely invest in tech stocks personally. I have 
401k and I have some mutual funds, but I don't really invest in individual stocks except for two, which, you know, one is Slack, which I'm. Yeah, you mentioned last show. Yep. And and then, you know, True is an investor in Peloton. Right. But apart from that, like I look at stock market as an, a way to learn about the psyche of how people are thinking about certain things. Do I like and so I I asked you three and a half months ago, what is the market? Why is the market, you know, behaving the way it is? And I've been asking that question to all the people I can ask, mostly because I'm educating myself. Just like you are educating yourself about the future, I'm educating myself about how how is like that was the one thing I forgot when I moved to San Francisco is that in order to kind of get the timing right on everything, you have to look at how market perceives reality. And if you don't do that, you are always too far ahead or you're too late. Such a great point. I think the market has kept me in the moment versus two, you know, with Google Glass or or right now it's, you know, it was VR, which was coming into its own maybe finally in the next year or two, because I keep hearing how good the Oculus is getting. But if you're if you're just thinking about what the geeks are doing, you're gonna end up just missing so much meat of trends because you're missing the public markets, which are not looking as far ahead. They're only looking six months ahead, whereas, you know, it's so interesting. One of the reasons why I call my newsletter Near Future, or uh, sorry, Present Future, is because I'm talking about the present and looking into the future. I'm not looking at 10 years out because the world is moving too fast for mm-hmm. anyone to know what it will be in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And But the, the present is already the past. It's gone. Like, it doesn't matter. The next, what's coming next? And I think just like you said, three months ago, Spotify was not not a player in your mind, and now it is a dominant position in your stock market because you're just kind of playing out and just saying, well, there is we are at home, we're listening to more music, there's going to be no radio, what's going to be the replacement? Well, something is going to be the replacement. It could be podcast. You know, it remains to be seen whether they can turn it into oh, a profitable business. Absolutely. Sure. But for, from my standpoint, when I look out, like, you know, as, a, as an investor, you look at, as a private and early stage investor, you look at your horizon, you know, things take somewhere between four to 10 years to kind of become real. Like, you know, this is a fact, like you don't really, you know, very few companies just kind of, you know, even Uber, like 2008, it, it didn't have a breakout moment till 2016. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, People just kind of think that is, so the stock market is a good way to kind of anchor yourself. Living in San Francisco is like living seven years ahead of everybody else. And maybe that's good for the world and even productivity if that spreads away from San Francisco back to, you know, the flyover states because people will just start living closer to the present. And, and, And that could be an interesting unintended silver lining or bad thing, but we don't know, but that's very interesting. So these unintended consequences, you wrote about it recently with Twitter and voice. Can you dig a little bit deeper into what you were thinking when you wrote it? Well, when I saw the news, like everybody else, I reacted on Twitter saying, ah, this is not going to go down well. This is going to, first I said, this is amazing. Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. What a great idea. Now you can have a tweet heard around the world, right? It's like, makes sense. And then I said, oh, shit, this is going to be bad because, you know, people can misuse your voice samples. And it's like 100 million plus people doing this. Basically, it'll be like a shouty, shouty match. And then people can, you know, you know, scrape your voice samples. And then suddenly we are getting spam calls being made to our old relatives by in our voice and them getting, you know, scammed out of money. And. Anyway, that was my initial, like, you know, first 60-minute reaction. But then when I thought about it and I said, like, well, this audio is going to train, you know, a lot of the AI eventually, which was going to lead to very personalized, you know, um, characters, sort of like Lil Michaela and, you know, and, and, you know, all these synthetic media, which is going to become a replacement for 
advertising like what the ad you know why do we assume that advertising is going to look exactly the way it is if the radio is going away if television is going away as we know it you know the why should we assume that the facebook is going to be here forever or that the google search is going to look exactly the way it is everything changes in tech everything over a period of 10 years can change so what is the future of you know media look like in the in you know 10 years 15 years out it will be like these synthetic characters synthetic influencers do you really want logan paul as an influencer or you want like a synthetic character as an influencer representing your brand because you can control the messaging more effectively and i think that's where you know that would be the unintended consequence am i 100% about that absolutely not because i like i said 10 years from now who knows what the future is but that was my best guess on the flip side of being negative about the technology right like i i just could see where this could have an impact and i think there is a lot of those things you know like this is why i constantly you know i get excited about technology one of the reasons i have started to write about technology is writing I mean, you yeah. just, but you know, they got the podcast, you had Belsky on ahead of me. You're talking to, talking to my market peeps. Uh, I, I feel so happy because you're a smart, I mean, to, to have own back in my feed is to like have, I feel like I'm getting six months, you know, better than any analyst on, and I'm not blowing smoke. I'm just like, you know, we're, we're DMing, we're sharing notes, we're sharing contacts and it just feels like there's this renewed energy and research and and present thinking which the which we were missing for about 5 6 years it feels feels like the nasdaq is humming because there's more we're less focused on the hype and more focused on getting shit done i don't know it just feels fantastic along with people being bearish and obviously stressed and obviously you know for the covid affected which is tens of millions of people they could care less about what you and I are talking about but i can't doesn't mean i shouldn't be talking about it with you yeah. so what are you seeing like you you just seem dialed in well here is here is how i would say it. first of all thank you for such kind words number 1 talking to you has given me the new energy to be and look at the market and i think looking at the market i'm not doing anything with it i'm just that's right and the reason i'm writing more is very simple i want to i was not liking what i'm reading simple as that and i just felt i got to go if if i can't find things i find interesting to read i just got to go find things i want to read it's simple as that and i hope there is you know a thousand two thousand people out there who, who want to read exactly the same thing i mean i'm really keen about you know what happens like why are we thinking about the idea of a pc as like a flat screen which sits in front of our eyes why are we thinking about i mean i i looked at the wwdc keynote today and i'm just like wow there is all of that you know they came to mac os much later you know at towards the end and all i saw was interactions through non keyboard mouse you know methodologies yeah voice through siri whether it's like writing with a pencil whether it is touch whatever it is and i'm looking at that and just like so if that is how we are training a whole new generation of kids to use the compute devices it would be very interesting to think what a desktop device would look like why do we have to have a flat screen why couldn't we think in 10 years we could have a you know holographic projections as a way of interacting with 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 information and data and i think i want to i want to kind of understand what are the possibilities why are companies like you know 10% or 12% of intel's uh, you know revenues come from data center people talk about apple moving away from intel no one actually covered the news that intel just announced a new in a new soc which is all about ai and and focused on data centers and has a lot of gpu capabilities and you start to think and it's like this is about the new future and even intel is coming to a realization that the desktop as we know it is not going to be here forever 
you know, it's like, why won't, you know, why won't like something like, you know, uh, uh, like an Xbox or like a Sony PlayStation or some device like that become the ultimate edge device in our in our homes, like the way we have, you know, we talk about edge computing and all those kind of things. There is so much happening. It's all very loose. It's no one is is focused on connecting all these random bits which are happening. And I want to read that. And so if I can't find it, I'll write it. As simple as that. Two other things I want to talk about. Peloton. Were you at True Ventures when they made the, when John made the Peloton investment? Was it John Callahan that made it? Uh, caveat: I cannot talk anything about Peloton. All I can say is that yes, I was there when John made the investment. Well, it's just one of my favorite companies, and I was going to say that that if you had asked me to invest in a billion in a Series D or when it first went public, I would have said no. And and I think this is the lessons is. What's great about the public markets and how it mingles with the private markets is I like it more today than I would have probably at 500 million because it feels less risky risky to me at 20 times the size because of where I am confident it's heading. You know what I mean? I don't need to get inside information from anybody because I see how people interact with the product, whereas at 500 million, I couldn't have projected from the audience that they were worth at that. It's just fascinating to me how much... I was bearish on that company early and bullish I am on the company today. That's what's fascinating. I'll put it right back at you. Like I would like when when I learned about Robinhood, I didn't really get it. Like, but once I figured out the network effects, which is you informed me a little bit about about that. So it's like, you know, you're like a great hybrid investor. I don't know if people understand and appreciate you as much as as like I've come to over many years is that you know public markets and you know private markets so well and you just know how to find the sweet spot just the tiny bit of like that that magical part of the Venn diagram where you I don't know and you do it consistently every year year after year so I appreciate that I think the Venn comes from you just said it it's like well I don't want to trade or I don't want to use the public markets, but the public markets are like an RSS feed. The prices, the prices, you could get so much information about just life and investing from just looking at the RSS of just your favorite 20 companies or a list of stocks at the all-time highs. So I think people have always said, well, I'm not interested in the markets. It's not, it's gambling. I'm like, wait a minute. You are taking some of the most public information available about the economy, growth, money flows, mood, and ignoring it because you think it's gambling. And that's that's the edge that, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so excited that 30 million new people are learning and Barstool Dave is learning because it's going to be future competition for me. But I, I think you're what's exciting for me to see you get excited is because you're just, it doesn't mean you have to trade. It's just such a giant piece of information and curation that you can get from it. And, you know, that's what I've been kind of preaching. I obviously didn't preach it in a way that made sense to a lot of people. I think, you know, to teach it, to get people excited about it, you have to be able to explain it in English. And maybe it's just taking me so much longer. Maybe I was just 10 years ahead of of crystallizing how I thought. Maybe it needed a Robin Hood and an Apple and a, and a Spotify and a Peloton uh, to really... And, and and COVID in a way where people were locked down and only could think about investing in money uh, other than health, obviously, yeah. Yeah. to to do this. So it's really a fascinating moment in time. I think you're you're doing what you're supposed to do and you do it really, really well. And I think, you know, we all just have to listen to our inner self and see what makes sense. You know, there is one thing when I was like sitting down and, you know, I, I always do this. I take a piece of paper and I write with a fountain pen and every day I sit down and say, why am I writing this newsletter? Why am I writing this blog post? And I just felt that there is too many people writing MBA posts or MBA pieces, right? People, there's nothing wrong with people writing those pieces. They're just like, I just, I just think there's the word, like the reason I love your, your newsletter is because it doesn't read like a damn stock market. You know, it doesn't read like a tip sheet. It does. It reads like one guy's mind about and what's on 
Harvard's mind about stocks today. And it's funny and it's fun and it's enjoyable and like and it's educational. And that's when I said, you know, I want to do exactly that with my writing. I don't have to make a living from, from my writing. I have to make, I want to write as if I'm thinking and you can see what's in my head. That's it. And it's been it's been like really refreshing. I don't know. It's like pandemic is has a lot of downsides. The one upside is that I finally found passion for writing again. Yeah, it's great. So many of us have the the two two last things. The Apple Store. I know it bugs you a little bit. I don't, and I'm trying to dig in here because I love. You know, I was in the day of selling software where. Best Buy, CompUSA would take their cut, and then I had to deal with end caps and net never. And so, so for me, when I, you know, for me, you know, because I'm in my 50s, when I sold the Egghead and CompUSA back in the 90s, I was like, fuck, I hated the whole thing, flying to Dallas, begging the buyers, you know, taking them out, whining, dining them, and and the box and all the shit that I had to do to get myself on the shelves. And now here we are with Apple. We think they're evil. Right or wrong, I, I I love them, even though I'm sure they cost me a lot of money for, for on the side slippage and other things. I just love everything about it as a consumer, but there's so much that people dislike about it. So I'm trying to just get a handle because 30% to me is like, all right, I don't know what is it, should be 20 or 50, 30 just seems like way better than the old days. But 10, 10 years later, there's a lot of disdain for Apple and the store. So what's like, what's the con- what's the public consciousness about that? Like, what are, what are, what, what am I missing? What is Apple doing wrong? So quickly, right? Like think of app store as a mall that you have to sell your stuff in mall. You have to rent space from the mall owner. What's wrong with that? You rent an apartment from a building owner. What's wrong with that? That's exactly what Apple's original idea was when it was doing the app store it had the ability to generate demand for applications. It was a nice quid pro quo for everyone. They got the developers, developers got the money in almost a trillion dollars, two and a half trillion dollars has been created by the ecosystem or something like that. It was a really great idea. 10 years later, it seems like with what they're doing with all these subscription services by charging uh, you know, 30% or having arbitrary application of rules, you know, you know, having different rules for Amazon and Netflix and Spotify and having different rules for people like, you know, the base camp or little guys. That's what people are really upset about. And the way I'll use the mall analogy again, they are now saying you're selling products in our food court so we will take 30% of whatever you're selling in the food court and pop up. Like that makes no sense to me. I think they need to update their policies, their rule book, and their thinking towards a modern internet, which is of 2020, not of 2010. Today's internet is all about subscriptions, people paying for things. It's a lot of things are being, people are not paying $2 or $3 for an app anymore. Those guys just move so slowly when it comes to mm. internet and internet technologies. And that's the more frustrating part about them as a company is that despite so much goodwill, they just know how to take a gun and shoot themselves in the foot every single time. But they're not going to lose any app developers because app developers need the money. It's yeah. sort of like all the people who complain about Facebook, Facebook is evil, and then they go back to Facebook and starts, you know, sending messages to their their families. I may be the only idiot who quit Facebook because I doesn't like the company. But like I, I just think that you know at this point Apple needs to kind of take a step back and say how are we going to think about this and rethink it, be clear about it, have a singular policy around it, and do not try to play favorites with Amazon because they have to sell goods on Amazon.com or you know play favorites because Spotify can get them into antitrust trouble in Europe. I mean, seriously, just just you know, get with the program. And they cannot they cannot think like they are Apple uh, when Steve Jobs came back or when they were starting the iPhone business, because they were an upstart and an outsider and an outlier in 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 an industry dominated by Windows then and Nokia. 
and now they set the table. I think they're the house and they got to have clear clarity around what being the house means. Final. And so, but I think they'll come, well, and if they don't come to their senses, what happens? People just build app, mobile web just comes back or, I mean, what, or does the government step in or what do you think? I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to use mobile web, but people still need, need the, need the app store. You know what the government will do, which I don't know, man, I think they've already, they're already in the crosshair. So that would be an interesting one to see how that, that plays out. I don't really have enough, enough data to make a smart, just, you know, uh, comment on that, but and they're playing with fire. And do you think they'll come to their senses on their own, or it's just you have to? We have to, as a as a community, stay on them. I, like I, I just I'll just point out one very simple thing. They gotta start really, really thinking hard. The person who handles their marketing and communications is also talking about their product and app store. I think that's the problem. Got it. We just don't have enough voices talking in in in, in that company. And you, you live and write on a, on a, I I have the latest iPad. I got all the stuff. How do you, why does the iPad work for you as your work life product? Uh, <laughs> uh, I got the very simple. It's, it's way more secure than any, any laptop right now. Huh. It's, it's got a, you know, built in LTE. It's always on and it's about 10, 12 hours of battery life and it has a pencil. And if I want to edit a photo on Lightroom with that pencil, I can get pretty precise. And you know, you know, I'm a photo nerd. And so I use, I use Photoshop and Lightroom on my iPad. And that's why I use it. I okay. just also think it's easier to kind of charge it, you know, I mean, and it's light. Though the, 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 the keyboard makes it very heavy, but I just like, and I also like reading on it. I also like I just like the device, man. I just love, and I just love, I can type on it without a keyboard. So there you go. Oh, you can type on it without a keyboard. Yeah. So, okay. So, and do you have the, just the original keyboard with it, or did you buy that latest, coolest one that they say is? I have the coolest one, which is on loan from Apple. I have uh, the one before the, the new keyboard. And then, uh-huh. and I also sometimes carry the old Apple magic keyboard as a way to kind of type on and it's like with bluetooth and it works really well i i just like just love the device man there is like you cannot you cannot get me to say anything bad about it okay i i I, (laughs) it's open it's here in front of me i hardly i find myself rarely using it it's the latest and greatest and it's just because my macbook and maybe just I'm so used to typing and I'm such a bad typist, but I should just, uh, well, you're a writer and a t- you, you worked on a typewriter, so you know how to type. So I guess you can type on any kind of uh, thing. So I, I, I keep trying to make that my my device of choice, but I haven't. And in terms of the cloud, is there are we still just in the early innings, do you think? Or is there something beyond the cloud? Or is it just the cloud is just, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourselves. The cloud is still in the early innings. I think cloud is still in the early innings. Like you want to look at, uh, you know, a, a, like a bull bull market indication on cloud. Think about like KKR has put together like almost like a $6 billion fund to go after the data center market. Was that recently they did that KKR? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that should tell you where they see the opportunity. The cloud wow. is just going to be all over. Like, you know, how do you think we enable 5G? How do you enable, you know, any future metaverses and, you know, like any new AR technology? MDR, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, how do we enable anything which requires, you know, low latency? All those things. I mean, the cloud is... And like, how do we render? Like, think about this, that NVIDIA got into the cloud business. I don't know if anyone even noticed. They're they're creating like a cloud, which is going to be a GPU cloud, essentially. Because, you know, they cannot sell enough GPUs, but they can sell a lot of GPU power. That's one of the hardest commodities right now with AI and ML. Same as with why is... 
you know, Intel getting all over the data center cloud market is because they know that's where things are going to be. It's not just, you know, the like, look, the big three are going to be really big, Amazon, you know, Google and Microsoft. I think Microsoft and Amazon are going to be neck to neck and Google will be one of the many players. But there is a lot of opportunity in cloud, a lot of new technologies yet to be invented. I think the AI ML you know, revolution, which is going to be on our, we're going to see that. Like, I, like I'm really bullish on the cloud. And what does low latency mean again for the average, for the person? Well, you know, it's like every time when we started this podcast, there was some kind of like lag in, in like in your voice when we were trying to record it. Latency is like, remember, like you read that book uh, by Michael Lewis about uh, the traders. Yes. Who, who basically built their offices and operations right next to the uh, the fiber pools. They yes. were trying to reduce the time. Got it. You know, and so to make the network not have any kind of lag. I am sure it takes me a little time to switch out of the nerd mode. So, so. Yeah, no, we need nerd mode because, you know, you speak in a nerd language that I get. And so I want to pass that on to other people. Okay, great conversation as usual. I'm going to bug you in a couple months. Uh, and uh, everybody, it's at OM, O-M, on Twitter. And you can find there, I love the name of the new blog. You can find he's writing more. He's doing podcasts. He's speaking in English. Uh, every stock investor, <laughs> well, you do, you speak in English, the, every stock investor, uh, this is my secret sauce for the last 15 years when I discovered Ohm and all these people, uh, TechCrunch and uh, all the great writers of Silicon Valley that are sharing. Uh, it's way better research. Not that they're, they don't care about stocks, which is the extra bonus of people like Ohm. They're not really, they're not really... The stock market is not their life, but indirectly they are talking about trends and the stocks that we all love uh, that are is better research uh, than the stuff that you get from Wall Street who don't have the time to play with these toys and live a little bit in the future. So thanks, buddy. I'm glad you're well. I assume things are okay in San Francisco. Not great, but okay. So far, so good. Thank you for having me again. And as always, I don't know if I said you in, uh, said this enough, I love you, Howard. I love you too, buddy. We will see you in a few. We'll get you back on in uh, the rotation in three months and we'll check in again. Thank you so okay. much. See you. <laughs> so there we have it, a remote three-way podcast. How'd it come out, Canute? <laughs> it has its challenges, but we'll work with it. But do you, it could be just Wi-Fi on my end, not so much the booth you created. It could very well be uh, the uh, yeah the usage in your neighborhood, I think, is uh, probably up after people get back from work. All right. We'll be back with yeah. another Panic with Friends, but I think we're up and running for the summer doing these weekly and uh, slowing down the pace, but at the same time trying to improve kind of the theme and, and, and cadence of these for everybody. If you are new to this, you can find the Panic with Friends to search my name, Howard Lindzen, L-I-N-D-Z-N, over at Spotify or iTunes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Howard Lindzen, L-I-N-D-Z-O-N. And my blog, howardlinson.com. Uh, just subscribe and uh, follow along. Thanks again, Canute. And we'll see everybody, talk to everybody soon on another Panic with Friends.